0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Thorax Podcast with me, Kate Dearmady. After last month's episode with Professor Andy Bush, where we briefly touched on the implications of the popularity of vaping for child health, this month we thought we would dig a little deeper into smoking more generally, vaping and the current challenges and public health policy in the UK. Joining me today is Nick Hopkinson, Professor of Respiratory Medicine at Imperial College London, a respiratory consultant at the Royal Brompton Hospital. And Nick also has a special interest in tobacco control. He is the chair of Ash UK, the action on smoking and health charity, which aims to end the harm caused by smoking in the UK. He also happens to be an associate editor for Thorax and is in charge of our Twitter account. So this is a bit of an inside job. Anyway, hello Nick, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: You're very welcome. We wanted to just start off by talking about the current state of uh, tobacco control policy in the UK. So if you could just talk us through what's happening at the moment.
1: Um, I think the first thing to say is that as a a country, we've made tremendous progress in tobacco control. The end of the Second World War, uh, adult male smoking rates were incredibly high, and uh, with the policies that we know can bring smoking rates down we have made great progress but the progress has been incredibly incredibly slow so when when i was 15 about 25 percent of people my age smoked and for the you know the next 10 or 15 years after that that really didn't shift but once the, the, a comprehensive Plan of, of of tobacco control policies was introduced you you do see quite a a, a, a rapid reduction in smoking rates and now probably less than five percent of 15 year olds are, are smoking so that is tremendously you know satisfying to, to have seen that progress but you know we need we need to go further there are still maybe between six or seven million people in the uk who smoke you know even though the, the pipeline into smoking is is being cut off we we really need to Try to do everything we possibly can to stop uptake completely, but also everything we can to, to to help the people who currently smoke to quit.
0: Which specific interventions do you think have been the most important in uh, decreasing smoking rates?
1: Broadly speaking, I guess the, the, the smoking has become r- relatively much more expensive, uh, so that there've been uh, you know, sharp increases in, in price. It's become more difficult to smoke, so you know smoke-free legislation has been enormously successful and the appeal of smoking in terms of advertising uh to to, to make smoking seem like it's something that that is attractive or something that that's normal has been has, has been reduced enormously so in 2005 we have smoke-free legislation making it that you know illegal to smoke in bars and pubs and and, and places like that restaurants and one of the consequences of that was not just that, that that improved the health of people who might be exposed passively to smoke there but a lot of a lot of smokers took it as a prompt to quit and they also even if they continued smoking the idea of smoke free areas sort of took on so a lot of people made their homes smoke free so they would you know that had the effect of reducing children's exposure to passive smokers as, as well and then we've had policies like standardized packaging which makes it much harder for the tobacco industry to Make its product seem appealing, or to present certain products as being, you know, less risky than other products. Whereas in in, in general, that you know, the risk is pretty similar for all of them. The, the balanced smoking cars with children again sort of underlines the the fact that you know, passive smoke exposure is is very harmful for for children. And yeah, you know, one of the things that goes along with that is that smoking is a is is quite transmissible as a habit. So one of the strongest predictors, or, or among the strongest predictors of child uptake of smoking is if their parents or carers smoke and also if their peers smoke and there was a you know, very nice uh, paper in Thorax looking at that in fact using the data from the Millennium Cohort Study which which follows people up from, from birth at the turn of the century so you can see prospectively what factors have then translated into higher or, or lower smoking rates.
0: You've just mentioned that the children whose parents smoke are at increased risk of smoking but are any other groups particularly at risk of smoking still despite the decreasing rate of smoking generally are there groups that we're not reaching
1: so i think there are there are some groups with with much higher smoking rates and i suppose the most kind of obvious well-known ones are there's a there's a strong socioeconomic gradient so poorer people are more likely to smoke people with great levels of deprivation uh people with mental health problems are much more likely to to smoke as well and that there's a sort of stubborn race of about 10% ish of um, mothers who are still smoking at the time of delivery. So, yeah, any efforts to support that um, group of people to, to quit is going to be enormously important.
0: So, obviously, there are like broad public health measures that the government have taken over the years that have decreased smoking. But, um, how on an individual basis does the NHS tackle smoking at the moment?
1: Before kind of getting to, to the, the NHS, just in, in terms of the of sort of broad policy. Uh-huh. So the, the sort of headline policy has been this concept for Smoke Free 2030, which essentially is a smoking rate below 5% across the population. And broadly speaking, the key measures are, first of all, to fund tobacco control. So the, getting people to quit smoking pays for itself many, many times over. So the, the direct cost in terms of, of the cost to the NHS and the cost to in, in terms of um, the need for social care is about double. The, the amount that comes in from from tobacco taxation. So there's no doubt that the, the government will be better off if people stop smoking. But the impact on the economy more broadly is very much against smoking. Smoking kind of sucks money out of poor communities, and the impact that it has on people's ability to work and the and the kind of the loss of the sort of multiplier of that money being spent on things that are that are more economically useful has been estimated to be about 170 billion pounds a year to the economy. So getting the UK to quit smoking is one thing that that any reasonable government would want to do in order to improve the the economy. So uh as I said, it needs to be paid for, I mean it will pay for itself, but one really important way to pay for it is to get the tobacco industry to pay for it. So you know, one of the, the sort of policy demands is what's called a, a polluter pays levy on, on tobacco industry profits, essentially a profit cap, similar to the pharmaceutical pricing scheme, which already exists, which is a a mechanism that that helps to sort of smooth out some of the cost problems that will be associated with the pharmaceutical industry having uh, monopolies on certain products. So if you're selling hats or shoes or, or carpets or cheese, you might expect to make maybe between 10 and 20 percent profit on your on your sales. The tobacco industry makes between 50 and 70 percent profits on its UK sales. So simply by capping that at 10% percent that would bring in about 700 million pounds to the uh, to the Department of Health. And that would more than pay for the very comprehensive tobacco control system, taking things back to how they were before the financial crash back in 2008. So depending on how you look at it, you could somewhere between 150 and 250 million pounds upfront spending to deliver an absolutely comprehensive, effective tobacco control um, strategy. So you need to pay for... support to help people to quit smoking, but you also need to pay for the enforcement of legislation, so there being maybe 60% cuts in local authority funding, so we don't have trading standards officers, uh, and you know, you, you need law, the laws but you also need to implement them. And the other probably really big policy would be raising the legal age itself for tobacco from 18 to 21, so that takes legal purchase of cigarettes completely out of schools. Um, we know that, that there was a reduction in use smoking associated with the increase from 16 to 18, and we also know from the US that where the states have, have, have raised the, the legal age of self-mating to 21, you, you get a, a, a sharp downturn in youth uptake of smoking.
0: Yeah, and I I thought I read that there was a plan for us to um, do similar to what they've done in New Zealand, where they will just increase the age at which you can buy cigarettes every year until no, until nobody can buy cigarettes. But I I don't know if that's actual policy or just
1: well that uh, that, that was the the con. Um, reviews sort of led towards the New Zealand approach, and to some extent, raising it from eighteen to twenty-one, you know, as it were, immediately, or you know, by uh-huh. the time the consultation was done, would have more or less the same same effect. I mean, whether you continue to raise it after that is a is you know is is a sort of interesting question. But you know, raising that steadily so that you do have a you know a you know smoke free generation. I mean, most people who are going to start smoking will smoke will start before they're twenty-one. So doing it either way would be a, a really important step forward.
0: Uh-huh. So I, I guess now maybe we can now talk about the um, smoking cessation strategies that the NHS is using at the moment.
1: Yes, yeah, so um, everybody kind of knows that smoking cessation is really important, uh, mm-hmm. everyone in, in, in healthcare, but to some extent, it, everybody knows it to the extent that it sort of goes without saying, and because and it goes without saying, it often just doesn't end up happening. One of the issues is that it's thought of primarily is an issue of sort of primary prevention so it's it's kind of someone else's business and i think a lot of people who are seeing patients with you know whatever long-term or acute condition will will tend understandably to focus on the details of whatever that specific condition is but the the royal college of physicians report hiding in plain sight that came out in 2018 really nailed this down that for almost any long-term condition you care to think of smoking cessation is one of the most important strategies to stop that condition getting worse or, or prevent acute attacks from happening uh, i mean right across the board from um you know the risk of developing osteoporosis right through even to, to lung cancer so the evidence is that is at the time of diagnosis people who continue to s- smoke have roughly half the life expectancy of people who, who quit smoking from that that point and Again, it pays for itself because some of the health benefits of quitting smoking are incredibly rapid. So, you know, if I see someone in my clinic on Thursday and they stop smoking, their chance of having a stroke the following Monday has already started to go down. You know, the carbon monoxide is cleared from their blood. The pro state is starting to decrease. And the modelling suggests that actually actively, you know, identifying and supporting smokers admitted to hospital to quit. If you put in around £20 million investment to deliver that, you get an in-year reduction cost of £80 million, so a £60 million improvement in year. So, mostly when we think about prevention, we think about what can we do to stop, you know, bad things happening some long way down the future. But, you know, this is a kind of recurring theme. If we're worried about winter pressures, we need to get people to stop smoking in the summer or, you know, before the winter, so that they're not then having, you know, preventable heart attacks or strokes or, or chest infections or pneumonia. I, I mean, people who smoke are, are five times as likely to, to get flu. So, you know, th- those those are the diseases that are causing the winter pressure, and we've got a mechanism to reduce the frequency of those conditions. So, certainly, that you know, that from the long term plan, that the, the the goal is that everyone admitted to hospital who is a smoker should be identified and given support to to quit.
0: In my own clinical practice, I'm aware that you're meant to ask every patient if they smoke, and if they do smoke, you're meant to tell them that it's not very good for you, and would they like to stop. Or would they like to try and stop? Have they tried recently to stop? But it's then very difficult to then know how to support them in that, or which services to then direct. I'm not aware in my hospital of like a smoking cessation team, whereas there's an alcohol and drug misuse team, for example.
1: Um, well, there should be uh, a smoking cessation okay. team. Um, so that's that. <laughs> they, they, that. That's the direction both for, for the long term, you know, long term plan. Yeah. So yeah. So obviously, asking everybody if they if if they smoke and. You hear people being kind of anxious about this, or they're worried that they'll somehow get a bad reaction. But it's just routine. I, I you know, I, I went for the, my kind of first post-pandemic trip to the dentist a couple of weeks ago, and you know, I, I sat down in the dental hygienist's chair, and they kind of said hello, introduced themselves, and like literally the first question they asked me was whether I smoked, and it wasn't because they thought I might; it was just that was routine part of practice. And even you know, when I'm seeing people with COPD, I might say, "Well, you're not smoking." I in people who I think aren't smoking and haven't in the past, because you, you need to know. Um, and it's not that you're somehow accusing them of something. You just it's just something that that you need to find out so that you can you can help them with that. But I think you do raise a really important point that it's quite in the absence of good smoking cessation services, it's a little bit dispiriting to say you know you've got the the ask people if they smoke, advise them to quit, and arrange um you, you know follow up to, to to do that if the if the range bit is kind of shouting into the void so yeah. uh, you know that, that that is a really important thing that you actually have services that work um yeah and the other issue around that is that our, our most effective medication varenicline has been unavailable for for a while now because of you know problems with the, with manufacturing though hopefully that will you know generic varenicline is going to become available again soon
0: I think you mentioned that for smoking cessation, you, you need to have nicotine replacement therapy and psychological support. Um, and I was just wondering what you think the role is for vaping or e-cigarettes in smoking cessation.
1: Um, so the, the, there are no medicinally licensed e-cigarettes as, as yet, but it, it is de facto a form of nicotine replacement therapy. So for some people, vaping is a is a strategy that that helps them to to, to quit smoking. So I I think in terms of my own practice, I and mean, when I, a lot of the people I see, you know, are people with COPD who have tried to quit smoking multiple times. I mean, often they've not been able to access good quality behavioural su- supports, and maybe they've only tried one type of NRT rather than dual nicotine replacement therapy. So, but in, in people that have had proper quality smoking cessation support and haven't been able to quit and have tried other things, it certainly uh, I think reasonable suggests they they try vaping. I think it's important to to encourage people to switch across completely because you know a lot of the effects of the, the harmful effects of smoking are not that dose related so you do really need to quit completely in order to get the health benefit and you know there's very good evidence that as you'd expect that nicotine replacement delivered through vaping is also is, is effective at getting people to quit smoking because it's the nicotine which is why they are, are smoking so there's a there's a you know a, a cochran review that that confirms that based on quite a number of randomized control trials um i think in the looking at it from the other point of view, because we know that that combining NRT with behavioural support is more effective than NRT alone. If people are trying to quit with vaping, they're they're more likely to quit successfully if they are given the behavioural support. So, smoking cessation services should support people who are trying to quit smoking by by vaping in in order to do that. Now, in the longer term, you know, no, you know, no no serious commentator will say that e-cigarettes are harmless. You know, clearly lungs should breathe clean air and you know there is a, a risk associated with vaping which is which is obviously substantially lower than th- that associated with smoking and that you know that's based on you know very extensive reviews of what's in e-cigarettes and what we know about toxicology so from the, the from the independent committee on toxicology from the, the reviews that have been done by the nicotine research group at king's for public health england and now for, for ohid so you know you, you can't quantify it precisely but the, the relative risk is i think is pretty uncontroversial but nevertheless, there is there's some risk there. So, you know, my advice is always that people who've switched from smoking to vaping should be encouraged to try to quit vaping, but obviously not at the expense of going back to, to smoking again. So you're trying to give people a message that that vaping is much safer than smoking. If they switch across, that, that will be a big benefit for their health. But in the long term, obviously, particularly if they've got lung disease, they should try and uh, quit completely.
0: So one of the th- things that I read that I thought was quite interesting is that um, people see vaping as as not removing their smoke identity as a smoker, so people who see themselves as a smoker are more likely to take up vaping than they are to take up other forms of nicotine replacement therapy, which is quite interesting but and then it so I think this was in the public health England report, but they were saying that the problem with it is that then people tend to do this by themselves, so they do it without access to smoking cessation services, so they only have half of the half of the package for stopping
1: smoking that really core cool message of trying to switch across completely is is, is important i mean it, it is also the case that if you in the studies where where people who don't intend to quit are given e-cigarettes they're also more likely to quit smoking so for some people they find you know they kind of know smoking's bad and they find that vaping is an acceptable replacement and they get the nicotine that they you know that they're dependent on and and they're, they're able to switch across so yeah I mean they're, they're, you know one of the appeals of it may be precisely that it isn't it isn't a kind of medical thing but i think we we need to not not be too you know that it is only medicalized or refuse to engage with it at, at, at all uh-huh. i mean obviously one of the tricky things is because there are no medicinal e-cigarettes available it's not it's not legal for the industry to advertise them as smoking cessation aids because that's a medicinal claim so even though the vast majority of people who vape are doing so in order to cut down or quit smoking we kind of know that and you know, the marketing kind of implies that, but it, you, they can't come out and say it because it's you know that that's something that they have to go through the MHRA. and even though the, yeah, the MHRA say very clearly that they will they'll make the process of getting a medicinal license as straightforward as possible so far you know we, we don't have any that are that have been through that kind of slightly higher standard of sort of safety regulation and and, and, and so on
0: so do you think there is a role for more
1: regulation
0: in the sale of vapes and the marketing of vapes, from a sort of public health perspective.
1: Uh, well, I I do, uh, but again, a, a lot of the problems are not with the regulations; they're with enforcement. So, you know, when 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 you know when there are no tra- no trading standards officers, the the rules aren't going to be enforced. So, there are some things that that certainly could be done that will be helpful. The the most obviously going right back to talking about tobacco policy is about affordability. So. The, the thing about disposable babes is that they're very, very cheap. So one of the one of the things that uh, Ash and other organisations asked the Chancellor to do in his budget was to put an excise tax on disposable babes. So you know the question about whether they should be banned completely is a you know is, is, is a very very live one. But they could be made more expensive than the not disposable ones, which are less appealing to children and 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 so on. The, the chancellor's can can do that with a click of his fingers so if he wants to introduce a five pound excise tax. That that would price out. A lot of children from using them.
0: You were just talking about how disposable vapes are very popular amongst children. We touched on this a bit last month with Andy Bush as well. But, well, what are your issues with children and vaping, or what are the problems you can foresee with children and vaping?
1: So, one of the things that is a big concern is is uh, is, uh, is smoking in in children. So, the, the first thing is that now there are actually slightly more children who vape than who who smoke, and. You know we know how incredibly harmful smoking is so it's important just to just to pause and say that there is not really evidence that vaping is somehow driving up smoking rates. that doesn't seem to be happening and because i think understandably people are worried that the children vaping may well be damaging their lungs it's important just in terms of perspective to to say that one of the key impacts that vaping has had on children is that it's helped a lot of parents to quit so one of the consequences of it is it dramatically reduces child exposure to passive smoke um and we you know we, we know that something like fifteen thousand children are admitted to hospital every year just as a consequence of passive smoking never mind the effects of smoking in, in, in children so you know thinking about these things at, at scale we need to sort of maybe slightly be weighing these things up together but you know the key message is is, is that if you're under 18 it's illegal to buy a vape Well, sorry it's illegal to sell vapes to people who are, who are under 18 uh that law should be enforced and you know there are a number of measures that 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 we that w- we can introduce that would make vapes less appealing in terms of of the marketing the packaging flavors display so the things that have, have made smoking less appealing can also be implemented around around vaping and it it, uh, you know i think it's it's not that narrow a line that we need to walk but we need to get to a position where vaping is available and attractive to smokers who want to use it to quit and reduce their you know dramatically reduce their health risk while not making it affordable available and appealing to 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 children and and hopefully we can we can make that happen but i think it's a question that you you know it is a question of sort of both of regulation and enforcement and again it comes back to what we're talking about at the start Getting the tobacco industry to pay for this, and we, sh- you know, we should be thinking about this in terms of of, of reparations. You know, the, the the global cost of of smoking is estimated to cost society globally about two trillion dollars a year. So, you yeah, know, we always think of the tobacco industry as being big, powerful industries, but they're only big and powerful because they don't pay. You know, there are a lot of costs that they don't pay. They don't pay environmental costs. They don't pay for the kind of despoilation of and middle income countries where tobacco is farmed, it's a pretty really terrible crop, and they don't pay for the, you know, the other end the kind of the, the pollution of the seas with trillions of cigarette butts. So you know, we need to make the industry industry pay, and using that that money partly t- to pay for enforcement of you know the regulations already exist is uh, part of the way forwards.
0: And yeah, that and that was something else they didn't realize either. That most or all of the big tobacco companies now have shares in vaping companies, so they've like they've seen where it's going and they are moving their money that way, I suppose.
1: Yes, but it's important to remember there aren't there aren't two different tobacco companies, and that's one of the things that they're trying to kind of kid us. So, so okay. the industry would like to be able to say that they are now part of the solution and that they're all about harm reduction. But while they, you know, while, while the tobacco transnationals are developing their, you know, reduced risk risk products, they're also aggressively marketing cigarettes in lower middle income countries, and they are aggressively opposing, you know, the legal measures that are, you know, very well established to be effective at reducing smoking rates. So, the tobacco industry needs to pay to fix the, the mess that it's caused, and we we know how to get smoking rates down. And what we don't want is a situation where they say, well, yeah, we'll, we'll solve the problem at some point in the future at our own pace without losing any, any money. So it is true that a lot of vaping products are made by the, the tobacco industry. They're not the disposables <laughs> by and large, but you know, the appalling, lethal, mendacious tobacco industry is, is still just what, what it, it, it always has been. Uh, but it, it would like to distract people with with e-cigarettes, and I guess one you know, one of the really you know fundamental problems in the sense of e-cigarettes is it often distracts people from talking about the real issue, which is smoking, which you know, kills millions and millions of people every year, and you know devastates lives and devastates the environment.
0: Thank you very much. That was all really very very interesting. Thank you for your time. that's are Thank you everyone for listening to this month's episode of the Thorax Podcast. I'm Kate Dearmady. For those who are interested, we have linked some related articles in the podcast description. We are also planning another episode in the near future on the effects of CBD vaping. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. We'd also like to hear from you through our social media channels, or you can leave us a review on the Thorax Podcast page on iTunes. Thank you and see you next month.